able to watch another Kevin Spacey movie again. And I also want to add, it's kind of coincidental that he played a groomer in American Beauty, and he kind of is a groomer. <laughs> Lauren Conlon, now he may sue you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh. That does it for <laughs> us tonight. <laughs> Ashley Banfield starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Banfield. I'm Brian Enton in for Ashley tonight. What a day this was. One of the most historic days ever on Capitol Hill. The UFO congressional hearings. Three witnesses, all of them with stellar reputations and rock-solid credentials. They told Congress under oath that spacecraft of a non-human origin have visited Earth, and if they were ever to attack us, the U.S. military would have no defense. Let that just sink in for a second. It's a lot. The hearing sparked really by our interview with high-level intel official David Grush right here on News Nation. That was about a month and a half ago. People thought that we were crazy in the beginning for doing this story. Some people laughed at us. Even a few of my friends kind of gave me a hard time about it. And look, I get it. It's hard to process. But we're here now. Congressional hearings happen today, again, under oath. It's serious. We're going to give you the highlights, and we will answer the really big question tonight, what happens next? Also tonight, we are staying on the case of the Long Island serial killer. The investigation continues. We have new information tonight about who is going to be prosecuting the case, plus now possible connections to other murders. We've been talking about that, but we've got New info tonight about whether those connections could actually pan out. We have a world-renowned serial killer expert. Uh, She's going to be coming up on the show in just a little bit. And then this one's disturbing. Kids locked in cages in their own home. And there is new body camera video of the rescue. Police officers truly saving the lives of these kids. You've got to see this video. It is unbelievable. Uh, we're going to show it to you coming up just a little later in the show. But, but we begin tonight in Washington with that UFO hearing that we have all been waiting for. And at the end of the day, it was really about these three men that you see right here. For a second, just take the politics out of it. All the politicians you've seen today on News Nation uh, looking for attention, all the normal Washington stuff that we deal with, just take that out of the situation for a second. Let's just focus on the three men, the witnesses sitting next to each other there, all high-level military veterans. They're as credible as they come. I could have told you that long before today because we've been vetting them ourselves for more than a month. Uh, you've got former U.S. intelligence official David Grush, former, Na- former Navy commander David Fravor, and former Navy pilot Ryan Graves. Ask yourself something. Why would they lie? Why Would they lie about this? Why would they throw away their reputations and just make all of this up and be lying? How could David Grush have the highest level of security clearance and have been one of the most trusted intel officials and also be a liar trying to mislead the American people? Regardless of whether you believe in UFOs or not, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, it just doesn't make any sense that they would be lying. And I know what they're saying is hard to process. I get it. It's been hard since we first started covering this uh, about a month and a half ago. The testimony they offered was like something out of a science fiction movie. I found myself sitting right here listening to all of it, 
trying to process it all. It's obviously fascinating, but it's also frightening in some ways. Here's some of what we heard today uh, from the Capitol. A large group of Boeing contractors were operating near one of the launch facilities at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they observed a very large 100-yard sided uh, red square uh, approach the base from the ocean and hover at low altitude over one of the launch facilities. Um, This object remained for about 45 seconds or so before darting off over the mountains. We did not see an object. There was something there to cause the white water, and when we turned around it was gone, so there was something there that obviously moved. It it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it, and the only way we could see it is passively, which is how he got that image. So I think that's a, that's a concern on what are these doing, not only how do they operate, but their capabilities inside to do things like this. Uh, we were primarily seeing dark gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere. I'm sorry, dark gray or black cubes? Yes, inside yeah. of a clear sphere, where the apex or tips of the cube were touching the inside of that sphere. Later in the evening, post-sunset, uh, there were uh, reports of other sightings on base, uh, including some aggressive behaviors. Uh, these objects were approaching some of the security guards at rapid speeds uh, before darting off. Now, was the aircraft that you were flying, was it armed? No, never felt threatened at all. If, if the aircraft was armed, do you believe that your aircraft or any aircraft in possession of the United States could have shot the Tic Tac down? I'd say no, just on the performance, it would just left in a, in a split second. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Biologics, you know what that means? It means parts of bodies. That was former members of the U.S. military and intelligence community tes- testifying that non-human face- spacecraft have visited Earth, even crashed on Earth, and the technology and beings piloting those ships have been recovered likely by the U.S. government. And that technology is so advanced that if non-human beings become hostile, the U.S. military would be unable to defend humankind. If it's not that's not dramatic. If that's not a dramatic headline, um, I don't know what is. But all of this was said today under oath in Congress by these very, very high-level military officials. But just as shocking is that is also that the U.S. government has allegedly known about all this for decades and covered it up by withholding information from the public and even Congress and silencing witnesses with threats and even violence. It was very brutal and uh, very unfortunate, some of the tactics they used to um, hurt me both professionally and and personally, to be quite frank. Do you have any personal knowledge of people who have been harmed or injured in efforts to cover up or conceal these extraterrestrial technology? Yes. Personally. Have have anyone been murdered that that you know of? Or have heard of, I guess. I have to be careful asking that question. I directed people with that knowledge to the appropriate authorities. Okay, I want to bring in the two perfect people to discuss all of this right now. Two people very well sourced on the congressional hearings. Ross Coltart is an investigative journalist who really is in a lot of ways behind the current interest in UFOs and possible cover-ups. Several lawmakers have said today's hearings would not have happened if it was not for his exclusive interview with whistleblower David Grush that aired right here on News Nation. And Michael Schellenberger, also an investigative journalist who has been digging into past UFO whistleblowers who have been silenced and breaking news about other possible 
uh, sightings. It's, it's really a pleasure to have both of you on tonight on such a historic night. Ross, I want to start with you. Uh, I was talking to you earlier. You've sort of had a few hours now to process some of this. Uh, where do things stand tonight? Where do things go from here? The thing that leaps out to me most, Brian, is how engaged a bipartisan Congress now is. They're using language like Representative Birchett said, it's time to take back our country. Representative Luna, it's unacceptable to gaslight Americans and tell them that this is not happening. Representative Moskowitz, we won't allow this to be used as a shield to keep the American people in the dark from basic truths. It's time for Congress to reassert itself. If there's nothing to conceal, let Congress go and look at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the Dugway Proving Ground, and all the other Blackwell areas where they're allegedly concealing this material. Those are very strong statements from the political representatives. Yeah, and, you know, we heard from David Grush, obviously, about this crash retrieval program, Michael. A lot of what he says is is sort of secondhand knowledge. But when you talk about Fravor and Graves, two Navy pilots, one of them a Navy commander, this is firsthand knowledge. This is stuff that they've seen with their own eyes that they can describe in great detail. I mean, how big of a bombshell was this today, Michael? And, and where do you see things going from here? Sure. I mean, it's obviously a huge moment. I just think it's uh, it's I mean, it's shocking. I I never thought we would see congressional hearings like this. I think we've basically gotten as far as we can with these witnesses. I mean, I thought the most significant thing today was Grush saying that he knows where the crash retrieval materials are located, the specific military bases or contractor facilities. He said he would tell members of Congress where that was in a secure compartmentalized information facility or a SCIF. They then said afterwards they tried to get access to a SCIF and were denied that. So, I mean, here you are, we're right up to the precipice of being able to basically go into these places and get it. The ball is now in the court of the of President Biden and the intelligence community to have to either allow members of Congress uh, to get those materials or give some reason why they can't. Uh, we are a ostensibly a democracy that civilians control the military. The military doesn't control us. Yep. So this has moved from being a story about non-human intelligences to a story about abuses of power and about democracy and about the rights of the citizens to understand what our government is doing. In terms of public pressure, Michael, where do you think things stand tonight? Because, you know, we, we covered the hearings from beginning to end on News Nation, uninterrupted so people could see for themselves. I glanced down, though, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they didn't have the hearings live. Um, do you think this is breaking through with people? Because surely it's, it's going to take people being interested to really pressure the government to disclose more information. Yeah, I mean, I think so. First of all, compliments to News Nation and certainly to Ross. I mean, you guys have done incredible work bringing attention to this. It also shows the power of the internet and people like Joe Rogan who have uh, elevated these issues. Um, and I think what you, what you saw um, the coverage by the Wall, the Washington Post and the New York Times was perfunctory, uh, inadequate. I think it's reflective of the obeisance that these mainstream news media have given to the intelligence community. We've seen it on other stories, non-UAP stories around abuse of power relating to the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, questions of censorship, other issues that we're concerned with. We see a similar deference uh, to the intelligence, security and military organizations. So in that sense, I think that's what this reflects. Um, 
I think that uh, there's still obviously taboo uh, related to the topic, but it's significantly diminished. And that taboo Mm. exists mostly among elites, much less, I think, among the general public. Yeah, I found it one of the most thrilling parts of my career to, to be working at a startup and not be working for the mainstream media and be covering this the way that we have. And it's been just interesting to see the way that it continues to be ignored uh, by many outlets out there. Ross, I want to ask you something, though. Even if you're a skeptic, what I found so interesting about the hearings today is there's clearly something secretive going on. And there's this whole issue of a secret government program, whatever it is, being funded by taxpayers, uh, like almost a stealth program that even Congress doesn't even know about, which, which led to all sorts of other questions today, like how is it even being funded? I mean, that seems like something that should concern every single American. Well, it's funny. There are people in Congress, Brian, who do know about the program. This is the thing that I find fascinating is that the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, his proposed legislation indicates very strongly and explicitly that there has been a cover up. It's not if or maybe he says categorically in his draft bill there has been a cover up and that the purpose of the legislation is to elicit answers that are being withheld improperly by different people in the defence and intelligence community. And the reason why... Majority Leader Schumer says that is because he has been briefed already about the transcripts of evidence derived by the Senate Intelligence Committee, where witnesses, including David Grush, have given that detailed information. And so Michael's quite right that the most significant thing of the evening to me as well was when David indicated very strongly that there is specific people, locations, program names, He's naming the names, he's saying the people who can be called to give evidence, and he's already done that. Mm. He's already provided that information to the Congress. The Senate Intelligence Committee is sitting on this information. The big question now is whether the public, whether we, are going to be shared that information. And I have to say, I have my doubts. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It does feel like this was just the beginning. And he made very clear that he's willing to share more in a closed, confidential setting uh, where he doesn't feel like he's violating his security clearances. So we'll see where this goes from here. Uh, Ross Coltart and Michael Schellenberger, I can't think of uh, two guys I'd rather be talking to tonight after such a big day. Thank you both for coming on tonight. Pleasure. Good to be with you. Okay, ending the stigma surrounding UFOs was also a topic at the hearing today. It was a big deal. Witnesses say it's caused commercial pilots to be reluctant to report sightings and has hampered research. But what does the pilot community think of today's hearing? After all, they're the ones... Uh, who are in the sky. They see a lot of this stuff. They're afraid to report it. The biggest aviation expo in the world happened to be taking place at the very same time as the hearing. So we showed up at Whitman Airport uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to see what people had to say about it. Uh, Take a look. (laughs) 
They uh, came with questions. They obviously did their research. And the better the questions, the better the information they got. So from these two Navy pilots, we had information such as, you know, one gentleman who had chased this 40-foot kind of large tic-tac-shaped object saying, look, this thing um, demonstrated technology that was way beyond ours. It was able to pop in. We chased it. It took off. If there's technology out there that's not ours that can pop in, do what it wants, and then take off and we can't do anything about it, that's a problem. We need to know about it. So, you know, it justifies how this is a national security issue and why it needs to be taken so seriously. going on in our own country. The the chances of the general public being able to accept that something can exceed our concept of travel related to speed. You know, we talk light years. These things, you know, they've come come a billion miles in, in very little time. Like, the usual argument, like, with the best of the universe, like, it makes sense that the odds seem in the favor of that being real. And with this with the congressional meeting, I think that that kind of encourages the fact that it probably is. I think most people take it as a joke. I think it's not time to take it as something that we have to contend with. And depending on how you, what people mean by taking something seriously, I think we should take it seriously and, like, it's real. I don't know the extent that we should all freak out about it, though, and get stressed out about it. So the expo where these folks are, it's called the EAA Oshkosh Air Venture. 10,000 planes and more than 700,000 aircraft and flight enthusiasts go there. They attend the six-day event that includes air shows and all sorts of other presentations. My next guest will be there tomorrow to collect firsthand UFO reports from pilots and introduce them to an app that's been developed to actually record sightings. Ben Hansen is host of Discovery Plus's UFO Witness. Uh, he joins me now. Ben, I, I found it to be personally one of the most fascinating parts of the hearings today when they talked about the commercial air pilots and how often they see things in the sky. They see these UAPs, but they're afraid to report it Uh, because they could actually get in trouble. Like their co-workers and bosses think that they're crazy and there's not really a legit reporting system right now for them. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And, you know, um, Ryan Graves, I think, really spoke to this today at the hearings. And um, about uh, August of last year, I started reporting on pilot reports because we were having uh, dozens of people reporting mainly towards the north, um, crossing the Pacific and the Atlantic and seeing lights and Um, Although we were able to explain some of that as a new Starlink kind of orbit, a lot of these, what I call outlier cases, started coming forward. We're exactly like uh, Graves had indicated. These are doing 90-degree turns. They're stopping. They're hovering and taking off into the atmosphere. And uh, at least a couple of these pilots who came to me were brought into their company, uh, their airline company uh, chief pilot's office and were threatened basically with their jobs and told not to talk about this. That surprised me because I didn't think that that stigma was so heavy, especially in, in the commercial industry. So is there a way that they can report this information even anonymously where they won't jeopardize their, their jobs? 
Uh, it, it's getting there. I, I think we're still very far away from it because um, I'm actually speaking on that uh, tomorrow or Friday at Oshkosh about the deficiencies that the FAA has in, in reporting and the lack of follow-up. It's one thing to report to the government. It's another thing to be that person who comes forward with your company and now you're getting social media attention on it. And uh, one of them put it nicely and said, you know, I could, I could video a satellite and put that on social media and my company would say nothing. But if I do the same and take a UFO video and tell people this is what I saw, then I'm in trouble. So we are looking for avenues to do that right now. It's probably going to be um, a civilian private sector solution to this because it, it feels safer for them to do that until the government has a, a, a better avenue. Yeah, it's a shame that there's such a stigma, Ben, uh, out there. Um, and also within the government. They talked about that in the hearings today within pilots that, you know, work for the Air Force, other military branches, uh, career uh, military employees. You know, they don't make a lot of money as it is. They don't want to risk uh, losing their job. Absolutely. And, you know, I, we kept coming back to that. And I really liked um, Representative Luna's opening statement where she uh, you know, said that this has been going on for decades and the government um, has not only, you know, there's I, I think more than circumstantial evidence that there's been not only censorship, but telling people to be quiet threats. Um, but what do they do when the sightings increase and we get these credible accounts like the Tic Tac and all these things coming forward? There is no response. That is the most frustrating thing is that they're quiet and they just uh, have done nothing, she said, to calm the concerns so if you're not going to do anything to tell the people and you're just quiet and say, well, it's it's not a need for you to know, that is not an answer. And it's not um, anything that is, is, I think, in the long run going to help this conversation. Yeah, and I know you're actually working on an app right now to help sort of resolve some of these issues. You're going to be at that uh, conference with all of those pilots for the next couple of days. Hopefully we can check back in with you, Ben, uh, find out if, if, if you learn anything interesting. I mean, talking to all those pilots, I can only imagine, especially if they're afraid to talk about it uh, to, to their companies, you never know what you might find out just sort of talking to them on the side. So, Ben, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Okay, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, you have to agree that today's Capitol Hill hearing, it really was historic. Members of Congress hearing firsthand accounts from military pilots who could not believe their own eyes at what they saw, firsthand accounts in the skies. Up next, where does this go from here? What does Congress do with the information they heard today? Was this just the beginning? Will there be more hearings? We're going to take a quick break. We'll talk about it afterwards. Today's historic UFO hearing on Capitol Hill could have gone any of several ways. We could have seen a panel of skeptical lawmakers not taking these witnesses and whistleblowers seriously. But instead, we saw quite the opposite. A public forum, three credible military officials just describing what they saw with their own eyes in a congressional subcommittee that listened and asked pointed, directed questions right at the witnesses, all in the name of greater transparency, they say. The former fighter pilots who spoke today say what they witnessed was difficult even for them to believe. You know, I'm not like a UFO fanatic. It's not, it's not me. But I will tell you that what we saw with four sets of eyes over a five-minute period, still... There's nothing. We have nothing close to it. It was it was amazing to see. I told my buddy I wanted to fly it, but yeah, it's just an, an incredible technology. We would see these objects uh, being at 0.0 Mach. That's zero airspeed over a certain. 
pieces of the ground. So what that means, just like a river, if you throw a bobber in, it's going to float downstream. These objects were staying completely stationary in Category 4 hurricane winds. These same objects would then accelerate to supersonic speeds, 1.1, 1.2 Mach, uh, and they would do so in very erratic and, and quick behaviors that we don't, I don't have an explanation for. Okay, I want to bring in Nick Pope now. He is a former UFO investigator for the British Ministry of Defense. Also, James Fox, a UFO investigator and filmmaker. Nick, let me start with you. You know, you heard Fravor there saying that he is not a UFO fanatic. I think most people would agree that these were credible witnesses, high-level government people within the military. I I asked this question at the beginning of the show, and this is kind of the way I go into any story, not just UFO stories. You you try to judge people's credibility. I can't figure out why they would be lying, what what purpose they would have to be making all this up. There's no purpose at all, and indeed it would be a a criminal offense. I mean, they are under oath uh, before Congress. These are people with little to gain and everything to lose, by speaking out like this. And these, these are witnesses of in, incredible integrity and credentials. And, you know, it reminds me back when I was uh, investigating UFOs for the Ministry of Defense in the 90s, I would often go to training courses and Air Force people would come up to me. They would tell me their stories and I would say, I'll, I'll dig out your report for you. And they would look a little bit sheepish and say, well, I, I didn't make one because of the fear of ridicule. Because one, one guy said to me, I didn't want to be known as Flying Saucer Fred for the rest of my Air Force career. This is what these people have had to contend with. And, and so full marks to them for stepping up to the plate and changing the conversation. James, where do you think this all goes from here? Because obviously so much of this is top secret. They made that clear in the hearing. There are things that they wouldn't talk about in the hearing that they have to go into like a closed door skiff, which is one of those rooms where you can't bring your cell phone in and you discuss confidential matters. I mean, is it do you think we're going to learn more, James, or is it possible that, you know, these committees learn more, but the public never really finds out? No, we, we, you know, we were approaching a turning point uh, in, in, the, in the last five years. And today I watched just in absolute awe of the setting, the impeccable credentials, the level of credibility, the, the curiosity and the intelligent questions, the bipartisan participation and respect. It was so refreshing. I just sat there in awe. And I remember having this conversation about disclosure with Nick Pope back in 2008 when the, there, there, there was leaks, there was a, an effort to release documentation, previously classified documents. And I said to Nick at the time in England, do you anticipate any kind of disclosure? He said, think of disclosure with a small d, drip, drip, drip. Today was a deluge. But it was stuff that we already had heard, in a sense. I mean, the pilots had shared their stories before. I think what makes it so significant, though, is, I mean, this is a congressional hearing. It's on the record. Uh, under, it, it, it's, under, it's under, under oath, as you're, yeah, under as you're saying. Oath, and I think we need to pay special attention to the ICIG, the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, Thomas Monheim. And I'm told that he has been 11 hours um, of meetings with Mr. Grush, and he's provided the names of the organizations, the names of the programs, the location of the programs, where this stuff is. He's also going to uh, meet with members of, of Congress and the Senate Intel, and he's going to be 
this is not a story that's going to go away. Yeah. I can assure you of that. And there was there, one little nugget within the hearing that I don't think a lot of people picked up on because there was so much explosive stuff that you could latch on to. But David Grush said that one of his colleagues with direct knowledge of the crash retrieval program who had actually seen the craft had submitted a confidential document uh, to the inspector general. That was new to me, which would mean the inspector general, Nick, has a firsthand account and a name of someone willing to put their story out there. So absolutely. What happened today is, is, uh, you know, there was a trail of breadcrumbs laid uh, so that Congress can follow. Obviously, David Grush and the other witnesses have to be very careful. But I think clearly conversations have gone on behind closed doors between some of these witnesses and the staffers. And a strategy has been formulated, which we saw unfold today, whereby some of this information can be unpacked in a way that it, 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 it doesn't compromise David Grush, who has to tread very carefully here. Yeah, I mean, he's received death threats. Um, and many of them have. And that's a very real thing. Uh, Nick Pope, James Fox, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much thank for you. having me on. And thank you for your coverage, your continued coverage on this topic. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to stay on it. I really do feel like this is this is just the beginning. OK, but still to come tonight, we are going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, there's a long list of eerie similarities between the four victims linked to Rex Hurman and the four women found behind a motel in Atlantic City in 2006. So Rex Hurman, Long Island, Atlantic City murders. Are they connected? We've been talking about it. One detail stands out the most. It's the position of the bodies. Did the killer arrange them on purpose? If so, why? We are joined by a world-renowned forensic psychologist, really knows serial killers better than anyone else. We're going to be able to ask her about that. That's coming up after the break. Two sets of murdered sex workers, five years and 170 miles apart. In each case, four victims were strangled, then dumped with their bodies arranged in a very particular position. On Long Island, the victims were carefully wrapped in burlap sacks and placed within 500 feet of one another along a beachfront highway. We've been talking about that case a lot for the last couple of weeks. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, the victims were dumped in a drainage ditch behind a row of seedy motels with their shoes missing and their heads all facing east, leading the media to dub the killer the eastbound strangler. So was there messaging in these positions? Did they do it on purpose? Let's bring in Catherine Ramsland. She knows serial killers really like no one else. She's a professor of forensic psychology and author of the book How to Catch a Killer. She joins me now. Uh, Dr. Ramsland, thank you for being with us again. We've been talking about these two cases for the past couple of nights. I'm so interested to know what you think um, do you think Rex Hurman, uh, the Long Island serial killer, could be responsible for these killings uh, in Atlantic City? Well, I think he has to be checked out thoroughly. It's it's certainly possible because we have sets of four laid out in marshy areas near these expressways or highways. Um, he had some association with Atlantic City as well as Las Vegas, so it you can't overlook some of those similarities. That being said, there are differences as well. And notably, um, the the four in Atlantic City were found uh, within two months. The women went missing in October and November of 2006. They were found fairly quickly. They were placed pretty close to the back of a a hotel, the Golden Key Motel, uh, where they could have been easily discovered 
So that's different. They weren't wrapped in burlap. Um, they had their shoes missing. They were clothed, but their shoes were missing. Um, their faces were down in water in a ditch. So there are some differences, but nevertheless, there are enough similarities that he needs to be checked. What do you make of the position of the bodies in Atlantic City, the way that they were facing all in one direction, which led to the nickname? Uh, what does that mean? Well, it, it kind of depends on exactly how they were placed, because if they were placed to put their faces into the water that was in the ditch, and and one of the police officers suggested that was to wash away DNA, I'm not sure, nobody knows, uh, it could be a ritual, might be a religious ritual, uh, or it just could be that he, he dumped the first one that way and he just kept doing the same thing with the others. Do these sort of killers, if it's two separate killers, if it's the same person, do they normally go back to the scene where they've buried bodies or left bodies? Is that a common thing that you've seen or do they normally do it and then never go back? It really depends on what the body means to them. Someone like Ted Bundy saw his dumping areas as almost religious. They were sacred spaces to him. The bodies belonged to him. He would go back and visit. Um, Some have gone back to actually have sexual contact with the corpses because they consider that they belong to them. Uh, But those who are, are really just killing them for practical reasons, that is to eliminate witnesses to how they were treated. For example, if they've been tortured, um, they might not go back at all. Uh, depends on really what the bodies mean to them. Interesting. Uh, the, the fact that it was sex workers in both Long Island um, and also Atlantic City, sh- should we read into that, Dr. Ramsland? Is that common? Does that mean there could be a connection? Uh, or d- does that happen quite a bit and it doesn't really uh, you know, make you think much? Uh, I think sex workers have, I mean, they are in a high-risk occupation. They will meet people in places that might be dangerous. They will get into cars. They will go to um, homes alone. So they're in a high-risk occupation. They already know that. The way these women were found and apparently the way they were were um, met their killer really isn't quite like what Hiraman was doing, allegedly doing. Uh, he was making dates with with uh, escorts who were on Craigslist. We don't see that same connection with the Atlantic City women. Yeah, that's a and good also point. And their ages were different. Yeah, good point. And even though they were sex workers, you're right, it was different the way that he was looking for them online. Uh, Dr. Ramsland, thank you so much for coming on. It's going to be interesting to see if, if you know, police are still investigating if they do end up uh, making a connection. Thanks for, for coming on tonight. You're welcome. Okay, today, Suffolk County DA Ray Tierney announced that he will be the one prosecuting Rex Hureman, who was charged with murdering three of the sex workers in the Gilgo Beach killings. We were just talking about him. Let's bring in John Ray, attorney for the families of Shannon Gilbert and Jessica Taylor, two of the Gilgo Beach murder victims. Uh, thank you for coming on the show um, again sure. tonight, John. I, I want to ask you your thoughts about uh, Tierney prosecuting. Does that come as a surprise? Is that a good thing? How do you read that? I think in a case like this and the magnitude of the case, the, the, the awful grandness of it, you need the very top of the uh, system itself to deal with it. So it's a perfectly appropriate thing to do. And, and it add to that, I know Ray Tierney for many years, 
uh, when he was a DA and uh, an assistant DA in, in the in Suffolk County, and when he was a United States assistant attorney uh, f- f- uh, in the Department of Justice, I handled cases with him and against him actually, as well. And he's a top of the line lawyer. He he's exactly the right kind of a guy. He's a good trial lawyer, and really we need the the district attorney himself to to make a statement like this. Uh, he, if, if he's up against uh, the uh, Mr. Horyman's uh, lawyer, Michael Brown, who I know very well as as, as well, and uh, have tried cases against him, uh, he's up. He, Michael Brown will be up against a formidable opponent in Ray Tierney. So I think it's a perfectly right thing to do. And um, these these victims, their souls, and their their families deserve the best and raise up there with the best. And you represent uh, families of victims who have not officially yet been connected uh, to Rex Hurman. Um, have you gotten any information behind the scenes that they're getting closer to a possible connection? Any updates on the investigation that you can share? No, we, we don't. You know, you're speaking about Shannon Gilbert's family and Shannon Gilbert. We have not yet learned of any connection between uh, this Rex Horryman and uh, Shannon Gilbert. Th- there is a, a good deal of evidence that there was a group involved in the um, slaying of Shannon Gilbert. So, you know, we're, we're looking at that, but there's nothing else except that they're all uh, in this extended sex worker cemetery. They're all sex workers with the exception of the baby and the and the transgender person, and uh, they all, many of them anyway, were strangled, as was Shannon. Yeah, I uh, remember the first day, John, um, you were having a press conference right when all this came out, and, and you sort of put a plea out, like saying, hey, look, even though there's been this arrest, you can't stop here. There could be others. Um, we can't right. just put this to bed. And it sounds like you're, you're still thinking in that direction, that there may be other people involved. Yes, in agreement with the professor who spoke, uh, it seems to me that there there could very well be a, a ritualistic behavior here, which we've been saying right along about the, the Gilgo Four, especially, and that the, the ritual, when people are involved in rituals, very often they're also involved in groups, uh, especially when they're dealing with you know, how this guy ended up do, dealing with child porn and pain and torture and death in, in snuff films. Uh, this guy was in the dark web. He was doing those things. Those kind of people tend to join groups of others like them. They they associate over the internet. They trade pictures. They mm. talk about performances of the people. And so they, they tend, they're all loners. There are plenty of them, but there are also plenty of group actors. Yeah, it's, so it's something to look at. It's a good point. Hopefully they are looking into whether other people are involved. If this was a ring, I mean, man, that would really be something. Uh, John Ray, thank you for coming on with us tonight, giving us the update. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Okay, still to come tonight, a shocking and heartbreaking case from Las Vegas. A couple has been indicted on dozens of child abuse charges after two children were found locked in dog cages. Disturbing body cam footage. Also a rescue, though. Thank God the police got there. It's all on video coming up. 
This next story comes out of Las Vegas, where extremely disturbing body cam video released by the police shows the moment officers rescued six young kids in a tiny one-bedroom apartment where they were allegedly living in filth, beaten, starved, and actually put in dog cages by their own parents. According to court transcripts obtained by News Nation affiliate 8 News Now, one child told detectives that what little food they could find, they had to share. The detective uh, telling the grand jury the child said he was always hungry, and that's why he stole. And then he added, it's food from the trash, so how is that even stealing? The details are really just, they're so heartbreaking, they only get worse. Uh, Take this as a warning. It's hard to look at some of these images. News Nation's national correspondent, Alex Capriello, has the details. Brian, I'm glad you just provided that warning. The footage we're about to show should be considered extremely distressing and disturbing. Police, keep in mind, are trained to go into unexpected situations. But I think it's safe to say that there's no way that anyone could possibly prepare for something like this. Let's take a look at that body camera footage together. It was after a tip they got from the kid's stepmother. The children, 2 to 11 years old, crammed inside this dark apartment. At least two of those children padlocked inside dog cages. You want some insight into their state of mind? Well, at first, when the cops were outside, the kids yelled through the door that they were fine, but clearly they were not. One child reportedly on the brink of death with two black eyes swollen shut and marks and bruises all over his body. When they brought the kids outside the apartment, they explained to police the torture that they had been enduring. He kept saying he was always hungry, one detective told a grand jury, that he needed big food because he was a big boy now, and that he would have to share one large fry from McDonald's with six siblings. The children's father and stepmother now facing a grand jury indictment. 31-year-old Travis Doss faces 42 charges. 33-year-old Amanda Stamper facing at least seven charges of child abuse. Prosecutors also say Doss forced Stamper to be a sex worker in the greater Las Vegas area. Stamper's being held in the Clark County Jail without bond for violating the terms of her probation. Bail for Doss has been raised to $500,000 after this indictment. Both defendants have pleaded not guilty. Brian. Wow, Alex, thank you. Gosh, glad you saw him there trying to use that folder to cover his face. Glad they were able to get him on camera. Just disgusting. Police also rescued two dogs from that apartment of horrors, an apartment that's a far cry from the flashy lifestyle Travis Doss bragged about online as a rapper. The guy you saw there trying to cover his face. Exotic cars, spending wads of cash in the videos when police asked why he locked those babies in the cages. Uh, He reportedly said he had no choice. That's his mugshot right there. We'll, of course, continue to follow this one closely. Hopefully those kids will get some justice. All right. Coming up, embattled actor Kevin Spacey turned 64 today. That's not why he's celebrating tonight, at least not the main reason anyway. We'll have the details coming up next. Two-time Oscar winner Kevin Spacey received the best birthday gift he could imagine today when a jury in London found him not guilty of sexual assault. Charges stemmed from his years as artistic director of the Old Vic Theater. That was more than a decade ago now. Four separate men alleged Spacey forced himself on them. The most serious allegation being that Spacey drugged one man and actually performed sexual acts on him. The actor denied some of the claims outright, but said another was simply, quote, a clumsy pass. 
That's what he called it. More serious allegation. Uh, he said it was consensual. This is the second time Spacey has beaten sexual assault allegations. Last year, a New York uh, grand jury cleared him, a jury there, of molesting the actor Anthony Rapp in 1986. As for the London case, Spacey says he is humbled by the outcome uh, and will now try to move forward with his life. Interesting turn of developments there. Okay, that is our time for tonight. Thank you so much for watching. What an eventful day with those UFO hearings. Man, it's been a day. We'll get back at it tomorrow. Have a great night. Sleep well. Cuomo's coming up next. can't go beyond what I've already stated publicly in my News Nation interview. If you uh, reference my News Nation interview, as I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview. An article by News